You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. We have got so much to talk about that we're just going to have to fade that down as quickly as we can. Faster my Howard Parkin and welcome. Faster my Judith, it's great to be here again. Well, you are most welcome, Howard, and once again, a packed agenda. Oh, always, Judith. There's so much to talk about. There's so much going on up there. I can't keep pace with it myself. Well, that's saying something. A game of two halves, as we usually do. First half of the programme, let's have a look at the Manx skies, what what you particularly enjoyed and what we can look forward to. And uh, then we'll go out into space with a nice little bit of Glastonbury kind of related, sort of festival-related music in the middle of it all. Now... Um, I'm not going to mention the fact that I was looking at a beautiful sky the other night and saw the moon and something very bright next to it and I couldn't well work spotted, out. spotted, Judith. I couldn't work out. But oh, you must was, have done. Was, Judith, well, go to the back of the class. I know. It was Venus. You could get it was Thursday night and yeah. I stopped. I stopped and stood and looked at it. Yeah, it was Venus. And not far from it, up and a little bit to the left, but much, much fainter was the planet Mars. We actually had Jupiter and Mars in conjunction. We should have had Venus and Mars by wings tonight, but we're not having this other song. But yes, Venus, quite unmistakable. Actually not at its brightest yet. It doesn't get to its brightest until the 9th of July when it's at the absolute brightest. What happens is because Jupiter, sorry, not Jupiter, because Venus is moving between the Earth and the Sun, as it gets closer to the Earth, we get it what we call the crescent phase, just like a crescent moon. Jupiter, uh, Venus, keep saying Jupiter, Venus gets bigger and bigger, and uh, the crescent phase of Venus is much bigger than any other phase when you see more of the size of Venus, and it's a crescent, and it's what we call minus 4.5 magnitude, which is as bright as anything else in the sky other than the Moon and the Sun. Really spectacular, so look out for it. We've had glorious weather just recently, and hopefully it's going to continue. And uh, I know we get some showers and everything else, but even tonight it's it's nice. Venus will be clearly visible tonight. Uh, but on the 9th of July, it'll be absolutely like a beacon, like a spotlight looking at us. And then by the end of August, it will disappear between the Earth and the Sun and then re-emerge in the morning sky, which will be right through till over, um, over the new year. And um, then we'll start again in the evening sky uh, middle of next year. Well, the, that's the thing about Venus. It is around for a long time. Oh, yes. But but, it's, but, but so interesting that it goes from the night sky to the morning mm, sky. It does. Well, years ago, they used to think that Venus was two different planets. They used to think one planet was called Apollo, the other was called Hos. There was Apollo and Hesperus and Mercury and Venus, the two planets on the inner solar system. And they thought there were four separate planets. But then some bright guy in ancient Greek times realised that, in fact, they were the same object being seen in the morning and the evening. And they worked out they were swapping places each side of the sun. And that's... Uh, how they became known as they are now, Mercury and Venus. Now, Mercury is much closer to the Sun, therefore much smaller, much fainter. But we've actually got an opportunity to see Mercury uh, this month. Um, I'm just checking my date, data here. The actual time to see it is going to be in on the 19th of July, when Mercury will be alongside Venus. You're going to have a wonderful opportunity. We're going to have Venus in the sky, the crescent moon above it, 
just as we saw it below Venus, uh, below the moon a few days ago, it'll be directly below the moon on the 19th of July. And to the right of it, much fainter, you probably need a pair of binoculars to see it, you'll see the much fainter planet Mercury. And this is the best chance of the year to see the planet Mercury in our Mike's night sky in the west over Peel, um, as I say, on the 19th of July. Well, you must be feeling a, a little bit more positive because minute by minute Absolutely we're getting right. a little bit bit more darkness, aren't we? We are indeed. In fact, since the solstice, which was on Tuesday, the 21st of June, uh, we've gained a minute or lost a minute, with any which way you look at it. Um, and the sun, of course, is going down that little bit um, earlier, uh, later, sorry, later. And then um, the sun is, of course, rising that much earlier as well so it's slowly getting there and i just looked it up out of interest on the 21st of june we had 17 hours and 10 minutes of daylight by the time we get to the next show we're going to be doing on the 29th of july daylight will be 15 hours and 50 minutes long so it's slowly but sure it does take a little while to notice the effect i mean we don't notice one minute in in five days is nothing but slowly but surely the nights are drawing in and uh we astronomers love that because, of course, we get longer night skies. We get time to see more objects in the sky. And uh, this horrible, well, no, I would say horrible, but this time of the day, uh, the time of the year when it's broad daylight right through till about one o'clock in the morning. Then we get half an hour of darkness and then it's back. Uh, the sun comes up again. I know. Um, it's, it's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> it is, actually. I must confess, I do like it myself. But we, I think I've mentioned this to you before. We use a term called astronomical twilight. And astronomical twilight does not end until the 3rd of August. And astronomical twilight is defined as when the sun is not, not more than 15% below the horizon. Mm. And it doesn't dip below. So even if you're living in uh, the west of the island and you look to the northern hemisphere, you'll see the light sky there as the moon, the sun, sorry, the sun is that much further below the horizon. Yeah, but uh, it's, there's no doubt about it. I think that uh, the extra daylight, the longer days, lighter nights, uh, they're good for us, aren't they? And, and oh, generally, yes. as, as, as human beings, they're good for us, oh, aren't yes. they? yes. I don't like going to um, bed when it's still light, though. But the one thing I do object to, I don't <laughs> mind waking up so much at four o'clock in the morning when it's light, but there's just something, something very wrong. You've got to go to bed when it's dark. I've <laughs> yeah. always said, um, when I've been on a cruise up in the Arctic Circle once years ago, and um, we went to the, I think I said this last month, or maybe someone else I told it to, uh, we were in the nightclub on board the ship, and it was pitch black, and we were booging the night away, and we were dancing away, and everything else, and it was pitch black, and the lasers were going. And at half past 12, we walked out to go back down to our cabin, we walked out into the sunlight, broad daylight. It was just so odd. That, that, now that is that is strange. That was that very is, odd. But, uh, we just got a little glimpse into the other the other life of Mr. and Mrs. Parkin. <laughs> right, come on, let's go back to the sky. What else? What else is the big news? Uh, Noctilucent clouds. Yes, noctilucent clouds were seen for the first time about a week ago. My friend of mine in Edinburgh, he said he saw some. Actually, showed me the photograph, and he saw this beautiful ethereal, bluey, silvery blue color of um, electric blue. I think it was a color of these noctilucent clouds. Now, these clouds are about 80 kilometres up, very, very high up in the sky. And they're exactly what it says on the tin, the sky. The word noctilucent is the Latin word for night shining. And what's happening, these clouds are very, very high up. And, of course, they're catching the rays of the sun, which isn't that far below the horizon. So if you look towards the western horizon, around midnight time, um, and you see these strange light clouds, which are definitely silvery blue in colour. What's seen, never forgotten. They are absolutely beautiful. And there's all sorts of theories as to what causes them. And one of the theories is that they form on meteoric dust, a meteoric dust from entering meteors into the Earth's atmosphere. And um, just like snowflakes form on a, a grain of something, so these uh, clouds form on these grains of meteoric dust. And there's also evidence that there's more noctilucent clouds as the 
Earth's climate is changing, warming, for whatever means and everything else that is, and the, the noctilucent clouds are used as a, a monitor for that. And uh, they're fascinating to see, and uh, I recommend anybody, if you can't sleep one night and you're looking west around midnight, one o'clock, just see if you can see these clouds. We've had some wonderful clear nights recently, and um, hopefully you might get to see them as well. Venus yeah. will be long gone by then, of course. Venus is setting about 11 o'clock now. In fact, Venus actually, just a few weeks ago, was actually setting after midnight. So technically speaking, the evening star became a morning star, which mm. is all very confusing. Yep, so that's, we won't that's, dwell on that one. That, that's very technical. But, you know, you're talking about the noctilucent clouds. And isn't it, isn't it good that... Every, there are still areas that are not sure it might they might be caused by this mm. but they might be caused by that isn't it good that there is still uncertainty well, that's it the inquisitive mind it's a human nature to be inquisitive and to ask questions all the time and as fast as we think we've got an answer to something there's a more questions behind it mm. and it's the case in any walk of life really whether it be medicine biology um oceanography you name it astronomy to name but a few and uh, that's, that's human nature, and we just want to know why. It's, it's what we have the ability to do. It's often said that we are very tiny in the scale of the universe. We're very tiny. Yes, we are very tiny, but aren't we big in that we are able to work out these things that make these things happen? Yeah. And that's the human mind. But I think I think the perspective is put on it when you said, just in, in the run of conversation there, the ancient Greeks mm. thought they were two different planets or four different yeah. planets and they didn't have all the sophisticated no, equipment no. that we've got you know the, uh, what, what do we talk, talk about the James Webb telescope yeah, yeah. which we haven't actually mentioned for a while no, possibly might be on the agenda about that again, yeah. um, you know and that's just the thing when that first w- was opened up in space and, and started to work it was the top topic mm. everybody was talking about it we were looking for images and then it almost becomes I'm not saying a commonplace but it, it slips into the vocabulary of of space, and yeah. doesn't it? And we, and we, you know, and yet something that could come from that that would change our thinking completely. Well, there is. I mean, just talking about that, the James Webb Telescope. Maybe the popular media don't publicise what they're showing, but just a few weeks ago, they took a photograph of the moon Enceladus round Saturn, and it shows an ice plume erupting. Absolutely huge ice plume erupting from the surface of Enceladus. Now, Enceladus is a moon that's covered in ice, and the ice has fissures in it, and those fissures open, and they erupt like volcanoes, and this plume of water spread out, huge, massive plume of water that was even spotted by the James Webb Telescope all these millions of miles away. Uh, incredible photograph, and uh, it just shows that we know the geological features on Enceladus caused this to happen, but we didn't expect to see that from the James Webb. And what's happening with the James Webb, to answer your question, is that what they're doing now is they're doing lots and lots of images, lot, consolidating lots sort of uh, surveys and everything else, and I suspect there was a big release, uh, news release last July, uh, I don't know if it's going to be this July, but they every now and then they issue a batch of photographs, and some of them are just breathtaking. And um, I, I really look forward to seeing more and more breathtaking pictures from the James Webb and indeed from the Hubble as well. Yeah, and yeah, the Hubble still still going still strong, going strong, still working strong, and uh, they're actually working in harmony. They're not looking at some things together at the moment. I understand, and that even gives us more uh, uh, exciting things to look forward to. Uh, pictures of ancient galaxies that formed literally at the time of the birth of the universe. If you take the birth of the universe into a year, uh, say the universe starts on the 1st of January, now the 31st of December, these are galaxies that formed about the 2nd and 3rd of January in that year. To put it into perspective, I can talk about millions of years, but if you put it into perspective of a year, you get some feel for how far back we're able to look in space now and work out the way these galaxies originated and the way that we can uh, analyse them and look at them through the, the fantastic instruments we've got on the Earth and, of course, up in space. 
the contrast that, that it seems to highlight now is that we look at the sky and we see the stars, the planets, the moon, and it's it's beautiful, it's peaceful. It makes us feel rested and, mm. and at peace. It's, it's very good for it. But in actual fact, listening to what you're saying about this ice plume that they've just yeah, seen, yeah. what actually, it, it's there's probably so much going on, mm. exploding and imploding and changing and all the rest of it, that it isn't peaceful at all out in no, space, is it? I mean, we've just had a supernova erupt in one of the galaxies, M57, not M57, M101, I think it is. Uh, there's a bright new star in that galaxy. You need a telescope to see it. But that is a supernova star in a neighbouring galaxy of ours uh, that can be seen through our telescopes and everything else on the Earth. And one of these days, and it's not going to cause any problem for it, but one of these days we're going to get a supernova erupt in our own Milky Way galaxy. And that star will be brighter than the Venus I mentioned a few minutes ago. And um, astronomers are always looking for this to happen. And we haven't had one since 1672 when Tycho Brahe saw it um, way back in the ancient times when we still thought the Earth went round the, the sun went round the Earth rather than the other way around. And um, that was 1672, and we reckon we get a supernova roughly every 500 years. So we're not far off our 500, so keep your eyes watched. And as you say, there's lots going on up there. It's just a question of knowing what to look at and when. Well, yeah, and and quite. But it is, I, I do think it's fascinating for us to look at something so peaceful and know that actually what's going on behind yeah. the scenes is anything yeah. but peaceful. It's it's evolving. It's so big, of course. So, That's the other thing. It's so massive. And, yeah. and time and uh, space are just so massive and a different scale to our human lives, for instance. So Indeed. it does put it in perspective for us. Indeed. Right. What else uh, in the coming weeks, Howard, should Well, I, we I need be... to mention, I don't like mentioning, but I will because it makes people look at it. On the 3rd of July, we have the first supermoon of the year. <laughs> and we hate, the, us astronomers hate the word supermoon because it's just slightly bigger than it normally is. But it became into fashion about 10 years ago, so we might as well tell people. But the reason for that is the Earth is at its furthest from the Sun this year on the 6th of July. So that means the Moon will appear to be slightly bigger because the Earth is further away um, from the Sun, and therefore the Moon will appear slightly bigger, and we have our first supermoon. There's one of four this year, and all it means is the Moon will appear to be ever so slightly bigger. But I defy anybody to measure the distance. It's a fraction. It's about 14% bigger compared to when it's at its smallest. And, of course, we use the other name, the wimpy moon, is when the moon is at its smallest when looking from it, at the Earth from it, when it's at its smallest. Well, I think in consideration of your blood pressure and the fact that you don't like talking about wimpy moons and super moons, <laughs> I, think, I think I need to play you some soothing music. I think so, Judith. That would be a good idea. Have you ever been to a rock festival, Howard? No. Enjoy the music. Thank you.
back to 1970 in the company of Matthews Southern Comfort and Woodstock and Howard Parkin, who is presenting the Manx Sky at Night for us, chose that because of the line, We are stardust. A, a wonderful concept. I mean, I could talk about that in its own right. But yes, we are made of the stuff of stars. And maybe that's something we'll cover in another talk. But, a very uh, romantic it, idea. It is a wonderful idea that we're made of the stuff of stars. Let's talk about dark skies. Megan Eaves, dark sky advocate. Tell me about that's her, That's right. Well, I was delighted to get a phone call and an email from this lady a few weeks ago because she was coming to the island. She's the dark skies ambassador for London. Uh, I'm the dark skies ambassador for the Isle of Man. And she was, she's a journalist and she was commissioned by the Isle of Man government, Visit Isle of Man, to come over and investigate and talk about the Isle of Man dark sky. So she got in touch with me and we had a wonderful time because it was wonderful weather. And yes, it wasn't dark. We didn't get to see much. We did get to see Venus from the Faulty Will, the, uh, the reservoir car park. Beautiful evening and there was Venus. And uh, she's doing an article on the dark skies of the British Isles. And she's fascinated by the Isle of Man because she's realised we've got 26 dark sky discovery sites. And she wants to know why, how and when did they come into existence so I was able to tell her all about that and we took around the island told her all sorts of things and she's gone away now to write an article about it and she is a, as I say she's an advocate and they've changed the name actually it's not the International Dark Skies Association anymore it's the Dark Skies Association and there's all sorts of things going on with them there's dark sky sanctuaries dark sky centres springing up all over the world and she asked the direct question has the Alaman considered being a dark skies sanctuary or place and I said, yes, it has been considered, but it's currently not happening. But uh, hopefully her article may have something to do with that and make people more aware of what we've got in the Isle of Man and indeed appreciate them more. Well, I think that uh, I, I know it's a topic that we've um, we've touched on before and I know it's very, very close to your heart. You feel very passionately about this, quite rightly. But I don't think it's something that's that's going to be sorted out quickly. But that's no. not to say it won't be sorted out. It's It may take a little it while. Evolve. I mean, it will evolve. More and more yes. interested in astronomy. I've, I've seen that in my own what I do and um, people are getting more and more interested in astronomy yeah. it's one of these natural subjects it's one of these things that you can look up at the sky it completely removes you from your day-to-day -day existence as you said before looking up at the night sky and how wonderful it is mm. you don't need to know what you're looking at just no. marvel at it and wonder at it seeing Venus the bright object in the sky what is it just makes people look and wonder mm. yeah. and that's what it's about and it's, it's drip feeding but at the same time it's growing slowly and the long may continue yeah and I think with some things like this you just have to keep on gently mm, pushing the agenda forward away. but I do think there's an irony in the advocate for London dark skies do exactly. they ever have a dark no, sky no that's London, why she was ever, so fascinated ever. I mean she was looking at the well she can't see the Milky Way from here she's seen it from other places and she said you never see the Milky Way this incidentally is a time of the year to see what we call the rich star clouds of the constellations of Sagittarius the, the middle the, the deepest the most prolific part of the Milky Way, low on the southern horizon, the constellation Sagittarius and Capricorn, and um, they are only seen this time of the year. So as it starts to get darker and darker, if we get to mid-August, and we'll talk about this next month, you're going to see far more of the Milky Way. Just spare a thought for people living in London, Manchester, wherever, and mm. um, they don't see the Milky Way ever. I was on a cruise a few weeks ago, and somebody actually came up to me. Someone, from, I was actually saddened by this. This guy said to me, are you going to take a stargazing? Oh, yes. Uh, will we see the Milky Way? I said, I sincerely hope so, because we're on a ship, it's dark and everything else. He said, you know, I've never seen the Milky Way. I've heard about it, and I've never seen it. Mm. I thought, how sad is that? Mm. One of the most magnificent sights we see in the night sky, the Milky Way, and I've never seen it at all. But this is, if you happen to live somewhere that's got really serious light mm, pollution, absolutely. you won't see these things, You'll even on the best it. night. You know, and we don't you see know. it when the moon's around. The moon is the biggest source of light pollution there is. Um, but every other week, or every two weeks, 
weeks and each month when there's no moon around, we get to see the Milky Way in all its spectacular glory. <laughs> and this time of the year, look due south, late July, mid-August, and we'll talk about that next month. Uh, that's the best time to see the Milky Way, which incidentally is seen much better in the Southern Hemisphere. If you go to Australia and New Zealand and places like Melbourne and Wellington and places like that, they see the Southern Milky Way much better because it's, it's that's the centre of the galaxy rather than mm. the periphery of the outside bits which we're seeing from the Northern Hemisphere. Mm. Before we get beaten by the clock, as we do every month, Howard, um, space, what what is there in space that we should be watching out for, thinking about or following? Well, we've got Steve Bowen, one of the astronauts on board the International Space Station at the moment, who actually came to the Alaman in 2012. He was one of the crew with Nicole Stott, and he's actually the commander of the International Space Station at the moment. I've been in touch with him. He's a lovely bloke, very chatty, very um, pleasant, and uh, he's currently, as I say, going over every... Uh, six times a day, 12 times a day, I can't remember the figures now. And uh, I'm hoping he's going to get some pictures of the Isle of Man. But he has just equaled the record of the most spacewalks by an American astronaut. He just, just completed his eighth spacewalk. So congratulations to Steve. I don't know, I think he'll be listening, but you never know. And um, hopefully he might get to do another one before he comes down in a few months' time and they'll have broken the record and become the, the most prolific spacewalker we've ever had. But listen to that, spacewalking. Mm. You know, a, a few years ago... The idea of it. it would yeah. have been, yeah, the very walking. idea of walking in space is just... Of course, they've got important jobs to do up there. They had to fix uh, new solar panels on the International Space Station. That's what we're doing. And um, But, it, it, yes, the the uh, the training, the equipment, uh, the precautions. There's always two of them do it. They always have a buddy system for, for obvious reasons. And um, it's amazing to think eight times. You know, it's a lot. It is. I'd be happy with one. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not giving up my crusade to get you into space, <laughs> but only if it's we can It's a bit like sure. Chris Williams' Spitfire Fund, I think. No, 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 no. I think there's more chance of you going into space <laughs> than there is of Chris getting his uh, Spitfire, unfortunately. So. We just have to make sure that we can get you back before we let you go. Yes, please. Right. Uh, anything else? Yeah, I'd just like to mention, I was delighted to see, I, I subscribed to a magazine. I'm in a society called the Society for Popular Astronomy, and I was delighted to read in it the other day, the July-August edition, uh, the Isle of Man Astronomical Society has named its observatory after the Society's late founder, James Martin. James helped form the Society in 1989 and later helped set up the observatory at Foxdale. Members gather at the observatory for alternating meetings and social evenings. And I didn't expect that. I did send a press release out way back in February when James sadly passed away. And it was lovely to see that in print in one of the national magazines. Mm. And it's a tribute That's to James. Great. And we are going to have a yeah. ceremony very shortly to rename the observatory. So it's going to be known forever. Mm. Instead of the IOMASO, which is what it is now, it's going to be known as the JMO, the James Martin Observatory. Which is very, very fitting and and Absolutely. very and very I'd nice. Say more. But um, whilst it's lovely for us to do that on the island, and we understand how important it is, as you say, it is good to see that getting into the national press. Um, probably a bit too early to be talking about events that the society will be running later in the year. Yes, but we but just took a decision that we're going to have some more open nights. They've been very popular indeed. We're going to have a couple of open nights this winter. Uh, one of the first of those will be at the end of October. Please don't inundate us with um, messages or information about that. It'll be towards the end of October and it'll be fully advertised on, on Eventbrite like we've done previously. And uh, we're almost definitely going to be doing another one probably in January, February time. Uh, the dates haven't been decided yet and we're going to be advertising them much near the time uh, they do get sold out very quickly so if you're interested just keep your eyes and ears open on the the website and the Eventbrite website and of course tune in to us next month and maybe I'll have some more information then for you 
But the fact that they do get booked up so quickly mm. says a lot about the quality of them and yes, and, and, the, and the popularity. And it which doesn't is have excellent. to be a clear night. I mean, the one thing we all appreciate, and I was saying this to Megan the other day, uh, even on a cloudy night, um, we've got places we can go. We can go and do talks at the observatory, go to lectures, whatever. Uh, and then, of course, the big bonus if we get a clear night, then we've, of course, got the, the pleasures of looking at the night sky through our telescope. Going, going stargazing. Right, in the last 30 seconds... Starship maybe launching next month? Yeah, I mean, no? I'm glad yes. you mentioned that because it's a real taste of that because Starship launched a few weeks ago in April and um, blew up four minutes into flight. But that was a success. That rocket, the biggest rocket ever built, was a huge success. It got off the pad. It basically did its job of launching the first stage, almost depleted all its fuel. There were a few problems, but they learned so much from it. And um, the one thing it did do, which was not expected, is it practically destroyed the launch pad when it launched. So powerful was the rocket. And if you watch the launch of it, instead of being clouds of white um, water vapour, and um, there's lots of dust and uh, also methane, which is the fuel. And um, it completely destroyed the launch pad, which is now being rebuilt. And Elon Musk was stating that they hope to relaunch it as early as the 19th of July. So watch this space. If this one gets into orbit, I mean, this is what Elon Musk does. He doesn't give up because he has a problem. Everyone said it was a huge failure. It blew up. It wasn't a huge failure. It was 99% successful. It was just slight problems at the end that caused oscillation, which meant it had to be destroyed. Uh, it undertook what they call an RDU, a rapid un unscheduled disassembly. Do you know, I was whilst you were talking, I was desperately trying to remember what it is. There's no such thing as a failure in space, no, no, is a there? rapid unscheduled disassembly. Rapid unscheduled disassembly. Remember it that blew up. it it applies. <laughs> you can apply that to anything. Howard, we've been beaten by the clock. It is as always a pleasure to talk to you. So go away, get some more fascinating facts for us, and come back and talk to us again on the final Sunday of the month of July. Howard Parkin, thank you very much indeed for this month's Manx Sky at Night. Thank you, Judith. <laughs> Station, Manx Ray.